All right. Well, hey, everybody. Welcome. Uh, welcome to Encounter. Welcome to First Assembly. Uh, hope you guys are having a good week. And if you're not, hopefully this will be a high point. Hopefully your week will improve from here. Um, and after this, you're more than halfway towards the weekend. So that's exciting. Um, I want to uh, introduce you guys to some friends of mine, some uh, Japanese students that are at the University of Memphis doing the uh, English language program there. Um, they're they're visiting, uh, visiting with us tonight. Excited to have them. Um, uh, doing, doing a teaching tonight that uh, I'm going to try to keep simple, but if there's anything, I don't know what he's talking about. Kira will explain everything later. Perfectly, <laughs> perfectly. Um, she'll explain everything. She write so, her gospel? What's that? She write her letter? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. First, first Kira's letter to the churches at Memphis. <laughs> if you guys, you guys weren't here last week, then that joke just went right over your head. Yeah. All right, so... <laughs> Tonight, tonight is part two of something we started last week. If you missed last week, that's okay. You're not going to be lost. But real briefly, what we talked about last week is where did we get the Bible? Uh, this is the Bible. Many of you have your own copies of the Bible that look very different. Some are bigger, some are smaller. Many of you have Bibles on your phone as an app. If you do have that, man, go ahead and get that out. We'll be using it a little bit later tonight. Um, but but uh, man, where do we get the Bible, the, the Christian Bible? Where did it come from? That's what we talked about last week. Jackie did record it. She put it in the Encounter Facebook if you didn't want to listen to it again. Um, but, but what we basically understood is that the Bible that we have is the Bible that we're supposed to have. There aren't uh, secret passages, secret letters, secret books that got left out as some kind of Illuminati conspiracy or something, right? The books you have are the books that were widely considered to be true and inspired by God. Uh, by, by the early church. Uh, the books that were left out were left out because they knew they were bogus. Either they were written over 100 years after the fact, uh, you know, they were not uh, actually written by the people that it was attributed to, those kinds of things where they know, hey, this is not true, uh, this is bogus, this is not inspired, so we're not going to include that. And so, so here we are in 2016 when you see man at Barnes & Noble, hey, we found some lost hidden gospel. No, they didn't. Man, that was always there. They just knew it was bogus. Is why it wasn't included in the Bible. Okay, and we covered a lot of those kind of things uh, last week. Man, how how was the Bible put together, uh, and and how do we know that it's been accurately passed down uh, over the centuries? That man, we can know for a fact that the, the the scriptures that we have are the scriptures that we're supposed to have. That they've not been changed over time. Those are the kind of things we dealt with last week. So we know the Bible, man, has not been changed. We know the books that we have are the books that we're supposed to have. There's not secret books out there, you know, waiting for us to, to uncover them. Right? The books we have are the books God wanted us to have. Um, but now we're going to look at I mean, what I feel like is even a little bit more important of a question. Um, how do we know it's true? Because it can, be, it can be accurately passed down, but not true. Right? If it's not true, then we're wasting our time. Right? We can sleep in on Sunday, and we can all be <laughs> somewhere else than church. Right? Um, if it's not true, then what's the point, right? So what we're talking about tonight is, um, how do we know that the Bible is inspired by God? How do we know that? Um, how do we know that the passages where, where God is teaching through the Word are actually God speaking to us? And how do we know that the historical accounts are true, that they're accurately recorded, that they're true things that happened? When we read about Jesus' ministry on the earth, His life, His death on the cross, His resurrection... Uh, I mean, how do we know that those things are true? That's what we're talking about tonight. I mean, how do we know that the Bible is inspired? And how do we know that the Bible is true? Okay? Um, if you guys do have a Bible or your neighbor has a Bible and doesn't mind you cuddling up close to them, um, 
I want you guys to turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3. And the first thing we're going to ask is, does the Bible even claim to be inspired? You know, we say that the Bible is God's word, that the Bible, um, you know, was, was given, given to people from God directly. Uh, that's what we say, right? But does the Bible even claim such a thing? And it actually does. Several places, but we're going to look at a few of those tonight. Um, 2 Timothy chapter 3, we're going to start in verse 16. Look at 16 and 17. Uh, Paul writes this in his letter to Timothy. He says, All Scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the man of God or woman of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. All Scripture is God-breathed, God-inspired, uh, inspired directly by God, and because it's from God, it is useful. It's useful in your life. Um, you know, we talked last week that the Bible is really old, you know, so what, how does this really old book um, and still have relevance, man, here in 2016? How does it have relevance to my life in the here and now? It's because of the author. It's not just some guy that's been dead for centuries. The author uh, is God, I mean, so, so because it's inspired by God, it's still useful for teaching you, for training you even today. Um, it's still relevant and useful to our lives even today. Paul says all Scripture is God-inspired, God-breathed. Now, Scripture uh, that he would be referring to uh, would be the Old Testament, the Old Testament passages. The New Testament hadn't yet been, been brought together in the way that we understand it. Um, and the, uh, the Gospels were just beginning to be written. Those, those, the letters that would make up the rest of the New Testament were just beginning to circulate. Um, so he's referring to the Old Testament here, but we can, we can understand man, that all Scripture uh, from, from beginning to end is inspired by God. Another verse to look at, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 20 and 21. If you guys want to jot these down, these are really helpful for when your, your buddy says, does the Bible even claim to be God's word? Or is that just something you Christians say? 2 Peter chapter 1, 20 through 21. This is what Peter writes. He says, Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation. For prophecy never had its origin in the will of man, but men spoke from God as they carried along. Uh, they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So, what Peter's explaining here to to the early church and to us is that the people that wrote the Bible, the forty plus uh, men and maybe maybe women that, that wrote the Bible, uh, and I say maybe women because there's a couple of books we don't know who wrote them. So why not, right? Um, the, the the forty people that wrote the Bible uh, didn't just write their own ideas, right? Uh, they didn't just sit down and, and say, hey, this is what I think God is like. No, Peter says it's not like that. Every other book you know of is like that, but the Bible's not like that. These men spoke from God. It was the Holy Spirit that directed uh, every thought, every idea that's communicated on every page um, is directed by the Holy Spirit, directed by God. Uh, and this passage also speaks about something that's really unique about the Bible in regards to prophecy. Um, you know, the, the Bible proves to us that it's true, and this is one of the most, uh, and the, the biggest ways that it proves to us it's true is this issue of prophecy. Because um, the Bible makes some huge claims. Man, it's a, that's a huge claim to say that this is a book that was written by God, right? That's a huge claim to make. Um, man, it, it's full of hard teachings that say, man, that, that's hard for me to apply to my life if it's not actually God, if it's just some guy trying to control me. Um, makes some huge claims, but then it backs up those claims with this thing called prophecy. And so, so throughout the scriptures, as you read them, uh, you're going to find hundreds and hundreds of prophecies uh, that are, you know, some of them were fulfilled in history, some of them were waiting uh, to see fulfilled, but no other, no other religion can point to this. 
And no, no, other, no other faith movement uh, in the world can say, hey, uh, man, here, here's some prophecies uh, that, that our religious leaders, uh, man, these ideas that they had about events that would happen in the future, and then look here in history where they came true. And the Bible is unique about this, and that's the reason millions and millions of people believe the Bible is true is because of this issue. So what we'll see happen, uh, man, as we're, as, we're, as we're studying the Bible, we'll see a passage in the Old Testament uh, where, where God gives a prophecy, a prophet speaks, and he says, this is going to happen. Right, And he's hyper-specific sometimes, sometimes he's general, but then you can look uh, in history where maybe it's 100 years later, maybe it's 200 years later, we see that event happen just as described. No other, no other religion makes those kind of claims and then can back it up in that way. Hundreds of prophecies, as, as you trace through the Old Testament, uh, that, that you can point, point elsewhere that, where they're fulfilled in history. Many of them having to do with the coming of Jesus huge chunk of them have to do with the very specific way that Jesus would come. They prophesied that then God is going to send a Savior, a Messiah, to save people from their sins. Because we've done wrong, all the things we've done wrong, times we've been prideful, selfish, hurt ourselves, hurt other people, disobeyed God, uh, and all, all these things that separate us from having a relationship with God who's perfect. Uh, the, the prophets throughout the century said God's going to send a Savior to save people from their sins. Uh, to, to, to reconcile people to God. Um, and it wasn't just an open-ended promise. God's going to send a Savior. But they were hyper-specific with it, like crazy specific. Like he's going to be born uh, in this town and under these conditions, and this is what this part of his life's going to look like, and this is what that part of his life's going to look like. And, and you've got this huge list of, of prophecies that are given over spans of hundreds of years that when Jesus steps on the scene, they're perfectly fulfilled. And you say, Wow. Who else can say that, right? So when we talk about the reliability of the Bible, how, how do we know that it's true? How do we know that it's really inspired by God? Uh, this issue of prophecy is huge. And is that, and so, so, so as you look through, man, especially, what I like to do as Christmas time's coming up is look through the prophecies about Jesus and, and then look, look how Jesus fulfilled each of those. Um, and being, being born of a virgin, uh, born in Bethlehem, uh, and, and, and you can just go down all, all, all the lists of all, all these different prophecies that he fulfills. And for the sake of time, we're going to turn the page on that. But, but, but that, that's huge. That's huge. So, so what Peter's writing here in Second Peter um, is the Bible proves its own reliability through these prophecies that are recorded throughout Scripture that we can see fulfilled in history. The next verse we'll look at is John chapter 14, verse 26. The Gospel of John 14, 26. This is Jesus teaching, and Jesus says this, But the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I've said to you. You guys ever wonder, as, you know, Matthew's sitting down to write his gospel, as, you know, the, the, the different gospel writers are sitting down to record these large passages of teaching that go for chapters and chapters, and, and ever think to yourself, how did Matthew remember all that? Like, how did Matthew remember the entire Sermon on the Mount perfectly, right? Like, like those, those are the kind of things I come across, and it's like, man, this is really good stuff, but, but th this is being written, you know, over a decade later. How did they remember all this so perfectly? Well, Jesus explains, first of all, they have the Holy Spirit's help. The Holy Spirit is going to help you remember everything I've taught. Um, I mean, uh, there are other things you can look at. I mean, the time that Jesus lived would have been an oral communication culture. So they were a lot, they were more suited to remember uh, oral communication. You know, certainly Jesus' disciples that traveled with him would have heard these teachings again and again and again, would have known them through repetition. But, but Jesus says here that the Holy Spirit of God is going to help them remember it exactly. You know, so when, when John sits to write down a teaching passage from Jesus, when Matthew sits down to write 
um, in a long, long section of, of, of what Jesus taught and explained. We know that he got it perfect right because of uh, the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the help of the Holy Spirit. Uh, the words of the Bible can be trusted as re- reliable because they're not simply the thoughts of men throughout history, uh, but are literally the words from God written directly to us. Um, and, that, and to me, that's the most exciting thing about Scripture, uh, is that the kind of God that's revealed by Scripture is a God that's not distant off somewhere in the cosmos, uh, you know, that, that created everything, set the earth spinning, peace out, you guys are on your own, you know, a, a distant, unknowable force. The kind of God described in the Bible is a knowable God, a God that you can have relationship with, a God that self-identifies as Father and wants to accept us as sons and daughters. This is the kind of God we know in Scripture, um, and, and, and the God that ultimately reveals himself through his son, Jesus. Um, one, last, one last verse we're going to look at here is Hebrews chapter 1, uh, verse 1 through 3. Hebrews 1, 1 through 3. The writer of Hebrews says, In the past God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days he spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom he made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. So, so again, the writer of Hebrews echoes this idea that, uh, that God spoke through the forefathers in the faith. God spoke through these prophets. So these prophets didn't... Have, eat a really spicy burrito, have a crazy dream, and say, man, i got to write that down. Man, I just had the wildest vision. Uh, this is going to make a great basis of, of faith for billions of people someday. No, it says these people spoke from God. Um, that God, God spoke through the prophets. Uh, that, that what we have here in Scripture is a direct dialogue between God and humankind. God communicating with humankind through these prophets, through these, through these writers of Scripture. Uh, and the ultimate culmination of this self-revelation from God is in the person of Jesus. It says that everything in the Bible, from beginning to end, all 1,200-something pages, your mileage may vary, uh, all of it is pointing to Jesus. And all of it's fulfilled in Jesus. So going back to Genesis 1-1, to the very end of the book, it's all about Jesus. It's all pointing to Jesus. Um, it's about God revealing himself to us. And that ultimate revelation uh, is, is in the person of Jesus Christ, who came 2,000 years ago. Uh, who entered the scene, again, fulfilling uh, dozens and dozens and dozens of, of prophecies that were made hundreds of years before him. I yeah. have a question. Um, I'm sorry, is this... Yeah. Sure. Okay. Good time is in. <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, I, I know, like, God spoke to all these men and stuff, but, like, throughout the century, there's uh, other men that they c- claim to be that God has spoken to them, like Martin Luther or, um, you know, any other, um, you know, believe that God has spoken to them and they... They wrote a book about it. So um, I guess my question is, like, how do we truly know that God has spoken to these men? Sure, sure. And so, so that's, that's going to be kind of what we're building to is how do we know it's true? So first we're talking about does the Bible even claim to be inspired? And that's kind of what we're looking at now. Um, and, then, and then once we know that, that it does, how do we know that that's true? But that's a good point. Um, you know, among, he, brought up, he brought up, man, what about all the other people that, that wrote religious works and claimed they heard from God, Right. Um, and what about Joseph Smith, who was wandering out in the American wilderness and said some angels appeared to him and gave him some plates, uh, and they had a whole brand new scripture on it that you should know. Um, and he say, oh man, I'd love to see those plates. Oh, you can't see them. You can't know. They're just me, right? He, he, God told me and only me. Man, that would well, really help my faith if I could see those plates too. No, you can't see them. Or, or 
hundreds of years before that, when uh, Muhammad said God came to his house and knocked on his door and, and revealed himself to, this, to him, this completion uh, of what started in Judaism and Christianity is, is fulfilled in what will later be called the Quran. Uh, and God, God gives this huge revelation to Muhammad. Um, were there any eyewitnesses to that? No. you got to take my word for it. God came to my house. He knocked on my door. He gave me all these scriptures. And that's awesome. Can you prove it? No. Or, did anyone else see it? Because that would be if you had just like one other person that saw God, man, there at your door. No, I don't, I don't have that. What we have unique in Christianity is hundreds and hundreds of eyewitnesses to a resurrected Jesus. The Bible says upwards of 500 people saw Jesus alive after being dead. Uh, that, that quote there is part of a letter that would have been in circulation around the same time those people were mostly still alive. In fact, uh, the end of that, and it's in 1 Corinthians 15, if you want to look at it later, um, is, is part of a uh, document that would have been in circulation uh, possibly as early as six months, probably no later than five years after the resurrection of Jesus. Uh, and at the end of it, you know, it's listing all the people that saw Jesus alive after being dead. Uh, and, it, and it says many of them are still living. Some of them have gone to sleep, which is like Christianese back then for their dead. Uh, but many of them are still living. So, so the Bible uh, it says here that Jesus appeared to hundreds of eyewitnesses, as many as 500 eyewitnesses, and most of them are still alive. Go ask him. So what I feel like what Christianity uniquely has, what the Bible uniquely has, it is a slam dunk over every other major religion is this huge number of eyewitnesses. Where every other religion says, God told me, you've got to take my word for it. Oh, I don't have any proof. You know, no other eyewitnesses. Or, and then you have to the, to the resurrected Jesus Christ, you have hundreds, hundreds of witnesses. Um, does that kind of help? Help you? Okay, good. Jewish historians also record um, a lot of it as well. And the, at, at, you know, the Jews who were against the, most of the Jews were against Christians, unless God obviously showed himself to them. So there would have been no point to record such a, gruesome event that made you your nation look so bad and the roman historians recorded you know similar accounts to yeah. you know what the bible presents as well and again you know what would be the point of recording such makes you look so bad you right know, information that makes you look so bad right so so these claims that circulated they circulated around the same time the people that experienced it were still living so if they were way wrong the people could say hey that's not what happened you know they, they got they got it all wrong um but that's not what we see in the historical record even the um, secular historical record confirms things we see in the Gospels and not the opposite. Um, so, so I'm going to, just for the sake of time, because, uh, man, we don't have a ton of time, um, I'm going to kind of move on, uh, man, from, from that idea of, of the Bible claiming to be the inspired Word of God. Do you guys feel like you can say, man, look at these scriptures and uh, man, man, the heart behind them, that the, the Bible is communicating, hey, this is God's Word? Um, and this is something that God uh, man, gave, gave to us through people. Um, so, so now the, the question is, man, is it true, though? Is it true? And how can we know that it's true? How can we know that it's reliable? Um, and again, for the sake of time, I'm going to move through this probably quicker than I normally would. But if you guys uh, man, can, can take notes, if you guys got a, got a pen or you want to take it up, take right down on your phone, or I will give this to anyone. Man, if you share your email with me, I'll, I'll send you all these notes later so you can have them. Um, this is going to be a top ten list. Uh, David Letterman used to do uh, as, as part of part of his his, his show uh, on TV a top ten list. The top ten reasons why blank. Or now if you guys, some of you know David Letterman. You probably know BuzzFeed. The top ten whatever you know things. The the clickbaity headline. Here's the clickbait headline. Top ten reasons the Bible is reliable. All right. Top ten reasons we can trust that the Bible is reliable and true. 
And again, in this top ten, I'm not touching on anything we touched, talked about last week, like um, the archaeological discovery of the Dead Sea Scrolls, which were just amazing. Um, in the 1940s, man, they found this cave with all these scrolls. Uh, look at the Wikipedia article. It'll blow your mind. Uh, we're not going to talk about the huge number of manuscripts we had, just because we spent a lot of time on that last week. Um, so not counting those things. Um, you know, so we know the Bible has not been changed or altered, but why do we believe it's true? Um, how do we know the accounts contained in Scripture aren't made up, aren't fictionalized? Uh, here's ten quick reasons. You ready? Number one, the Bible is full of flawed characters. Flawed characters. Characters that make mistakes, characters that screw up big time. Uh, Moses, Jacob, David, Peter, Paul, uh, and ellipses. You know, it could go on and on and on. Uh, the Bible contains embarrassing accounts about their failures and mistakes uh, that no one would include about themselves if it were not true, right? If I'm sitting down to write uh, a religious document and it's fake, it's fiction, am I going to include all the times I totally blew it, all the times I totally got it wrong? Um, and even, even Jesus, who is not morally flawed, he's morally perfect, there's still unflattering details uh, included about his life that we would not expect to see if it was a legend. You know, that we don't see in stuff like Hercules, that we don't see in, in, in ancient uh, legendary works. You know, unflattering things are included about him. Uh, for example, his own brothers and mothers, uh, mother singular and brothers, do not even believe he's the Messiah until after the resurrection. Um, he's not able to do miracles in his own hometown. His followers pretty much all desert him at one point in his ministry. Things that you would not include if you're making up a legend, right? That's supposed to convince a lot of people. Um, the disciples are portrayed in an unflattering way as well. Uh, if they're making up an account about Jesus, if they're fictionalizing an account about Jesus, why, why include things that would hurt their credibility as witnesses? Um, they, they include things uh, <laughs> that do not make them very, look very good. For example, they often do not know what Jesus is talking about. As you read through the Gospels, often the disciples do not know what he's talking about. Right? If I'm making up a story and I'm writing it down, <laughs> I would not include that. Man, Jesus was talking. I had no idea. I was so lost. Um, they fall asleep on Jesus when he needs them the most. Right? You're making up a story. You know, you're going to make yourself look a little good. You're going to say, Jesus really needed me. And man, I took a, I took a nap. Right? Um, they desert him when he's arrested. All of them. Uh, you know, th those kind of details, those flawed characters, uh, make you think, man, you would not fictionalize a story like that. If you're making up a legend, you would not include these elements. Um, and I love Peter. We read a verse. We read a verse from Peter a little earlier. I mean, he he was the head, the leader of the early church. That um, man, you look at him in the Gospels, and he's not mythologized at all. Uh, he makes stupid statements throughout the Gospels. He just says dumb stuff. Uh, he denies knowing Jesus at one point, and at one point, Jesus calls him Satan because he's so out of line. Right? If you're making up a story, uh, you're not going to include those kind of things that make you look so bad. Right? Um, moving on from there. So first, the Bible's full of flawed characters. Number two is coherency. Um, and, and again, I'm going to breeze past this because we spent so much time on it last week, but the Bible's written by 40 plus authors across three continents, written over a span of 1,600 years, all writing independently of each other, uh, but it still manages to tell one narrative um, with no irreconcilable discrepancies. That's a mouthful. I'll say that even one time fast. No irreconcilable discrepancies. And, and Matt put a challenge out to you guys. If you can find like a real uh, discrepancy in the Bible, a real contradiction, 
um, because, because everything that seems to be some kind of contradiction or discrepancy, man, there's a good way to reconcile that. There's a good way to explain that. We're like, oh, yeah, I didn't think of it that way. I guess, yeah, I guess that's not really a contradiction. All, all, all the, 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 the discrepancies that fit into that category are ones that are easily reconciled uh, if you apply your brain, you know, the space here between your ears, uh, and really, really think about it in context. Um, and so, so when you look at, man, 1,600 years, 40-plus authors all writing independently, for that to make one coherent narrative without divine inspiration is impossible, right? Uh, there's, there's more than 40 of us in here tonight. If we spread out all over the world and all sat down to write something, we're going to write a story, but we're not in communication with each other for the most part, and then we're going to spread it out, and it's going to take us uh, over a thousand years to write it. Um, can you take all those different pages and put them together and make one book that makes sense? What are the chances of that? Zero, right? So, so, so another thing that testifies to the reliability of scriptures is just its coherency considering how it was put together. That's number two. Number three, uh, prophecy, which we already touched on, so I'm not going to spend uh, much more time there. But and the scripture contains hundreds of prophecies that we can see fulfilled without history, many of them concerning the coming of Jesus. Again, these are written hundreds of years before the events occurred. Uh, the odds against this are astronomical. Um, and so, so, man, if nothing else, man, look at those prophecies. Man, man, look at the time that they would have been given. And then, and then look in history when they were fulfilled. Um, that's really, really encouraging stuff. These next few are about the Gospels specifically. So specifically the accounts of Jesus that we have in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Um, number four, reasons we know that the Bible is reliable. The difficult teachings of Jesus were included. If you're making up a religion from scratch, right... Or even if you're trying to make up a religion, building off of an existing religion, um, are you gonna are you gonna include teachings that make life harder for you, right? So so these difficult teachings are included uh, in in the Bible that, that, that may make life in the present more difficult if you're gonna submit to them. I mean, a promise of hope and peace and eternal life, the things that man, that are hard to do. Um, if I'm making up a religion, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna make it up with these kind of rules, these kinds of difficult teachings. Um, with no tangible benefit in the here and now. Uh, I'm going to write things like, like, like give, give all your stuff away and give the money to the poor, right? Or deny yourself and all these different kind of earthly pleasures. Deny yourself. If I'm making up a religion, uh, I'm not going to lead with that, right? That's not flesh, where I'm going to start. Do what? Yeah, eat my flesh. Drink yeah. Blood. Yeah. And difficult, difficult phrasings where people didn't understand. They're like, what? Um, those kind of things, those difficult teachings being included uh, are, are another, another reason to think that it's not fictionalized, it's not made up. Um, you know, C.S. Lewis has a quote uh, that says that one of the reasons he believed Christianity to be true is because the basic truths of it were so strange, so counter to our natural thinking that it's not something anyone would ever just make up. And it, it, as you read through scriptures, you read through uh, the teachings of Jesus, it's so opposite everything the world teaches uh, that at some point you're like, man, no one would just make this up, right? That to be the first, you've got to be the last. Right. To be the top, you've got to be the lowest, the servant. You know, um, man, all, all these kind of things that are, that are so opposite from everything the culture puts forward. Um, so yeah, the, those difficult teachings of Jesus, it's not something we would see uh, in, 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 in a fictionalized religion like that. Number five, uh, the Gospels don't resolve any church issues. This one takes a little bit of explanation. Um, so the Gospels were written uh, around, around 10 to 20 years um, after the resurrection of Jesus. Uh, John's Gospel written a le little later uh, as he's an old man. Um, 
the, the church at that point had existed for years and years, had existed you know, for decades, uh, and had some different theological issues. It had some things that they were in disagreement about. Uh, the early church was uh, dealing with political problems. Um, you know, around the time the Gospels were being written down, um, and it would have been really convenient if you're making up a religion to have Jesus address these kind of things. So you've got, got half the church thinks this one thing about Jesus, the other half of the church thinks this other thing, and they're butting heads on it. Man, if I'm just making up a religion, I would say, Jesus said that one or the other group was right or some other new thing, but, but they don't. And the Gospels don't, don't resolve these early church issues that were going on at the time. They just recorded the things Jesus said, and they did not record anything he didn't say. Man, has the Holy Spirit helped them? Um, and so, so when we think about a religion being fictionalized, we think about the convenience of it. Man, it would be really convenient if it solved all the contemporary problems, uh, but, but it doesn't, right? And so, so as a, looking at it as a historian, that's something that would be odd for a fictionalized religion. Does that make sense? You know, so the fact that he doesn't address man, the problems, political problems, theological problems the church was fighting over, uh, that we don't see Jesus address that in the Gospels, even though they would have been written down around the time those problems were going on, um, it shows us that the gospel writers were committed to and only writing down what Jesus taught and not putting in any of their own input or adding things to it. Um, some of the things they're disagreeing about is, man, to what degree are Gentiles, non-Jewish people included? Do we still need to be circumcised? Uh, do we still need to obey, like, all of the law or only part of it? Um, and they, they were fighting about this big time. Uh, and, and so, so the, because we don't see some of those things uh, addressed by Jesus lets us know that the gospel writers were committed to only writing down what he actually said. Does that make sense? Are you guys tracking with me? We're halfway through the top ten list. We're more than halfway through tonight. We're almost done. Uh, number six, the names of the gospels. And tell us, tell us something about the reliability. If you wanted to make a fake historical account, and you wanted to make your fake historical account credible, you would attach a well-known name to it. You would want to put a name to it. Uh, people say, oh, yeah, I recognize that name. Uh, and, and, and that name's instantly recognizable. I was trying to think of like a pop culture modern figure that is just universally trustworthy. That if I said, man, so-and-so said it, uh, man, you would know for sure that it was true. I don't know if it's a statement about our modern day culture that I couldn't think of anybody uh, that, that would universally be like, that person's trustworthy. Whatever they say is true. Um, but but, but so so but you would attach at least a more popular name, uh, like if like if I'm writing if I'm writing a letter or, or making up an account, no one knows who Matt Drain is, so I'm going to put put some other more famous person's name on it, right? And this is exactly what we see happen on uh, the gospels that would come out 100, 200 years later that we know are bogus, not true. They they would write write names down that were well known uh, to attract attention to themselves. Um, so this is what we see with the false gospels, the Gospel of Thomas, Gospel of Mary, Mary Magdalene. But what, with the, um, what we call the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, um, this is not the case. So, so Mark was a traveling companion of Peter. Uh, Mark's account is most likely recording Peter's eyewitness accounts to the events of Jesus' life. Um, but it's not the gospel according to Peter, it's the gospel of Mark. And everyone's like, who's Mark? We don't know who Mark is. Right, but because because he's the one writing it, he put his name on it, uh, and so so attaching his name to it, even though that name wouldn't draw a lot of notoriety, um, is is one example. So Luke, who was Luke? You guys know? Paul's doctor. Yeah, Luke was Paul's doctor. His his Paul had some kind of physical problem that he needed a doctor to travel with him. So as his traveling physician, um, and as Luke's traveling the countryside uh, with with Paul, 
Uh, he's interviewing different eyewitnesses. He's putting together this account. Um, but his name would have no weight in the religious world. This, 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 this medical doctor, um, and his account would have no particular uh, weight among religious people, among Jewish people, uh, or, or Gentile people, as far as speaking about matters of, of, of faith and religion. Um, you know, he doesn't, he doesn't uh, I mean, he, he, he just puts his name out there that, that man, this is, this is Luke, this is mine. Luke writes Luke, and then he also writes Acts, the history of the early church. Um, but attaching his name to it wouldn't bring any, any weight. The worst of all would be Matthew. That's my name. The worst of all would be Matthew. Uh, man, if you understand how the Gospels are written, you can look at them, and, and they're written to different people groups. Uh, Matthew's Gospel was directed largely towards the Jews. You see, he pulls in a lot of Old Testament Scripture to bring to their remembrance how Jesus fulfilled these different things. Um, but if you're, if you're going to write a Gospel to the Jewish people, and you would put any name on that thing but Matthew. Matthew was a tax collector, right? He, ta- he collected taxes for the Roman government from the Jewish people. Um, a lot of times, tax collectors would be crooked. They would take more than they needed, and they'd keep the extra so they can make a profit. Um, they, were, they were known as being untrustworthy and deceitful, right? Uh, the, the Jewish people hated the tax collectors that collected taxes for the Romans. Before, uh, before he started following Jesus, and Matthew was a tax collector. If I'm going to write a letter to the Jewish people, if I'm going to write a gospel to the Jewish people, I'm going to put any name on that thing but Matthew, right? A person that they hate and don't think is reliable. You know, the, the, the fact that he puts his own name on it, he's willing to, he's willing to put his own name on it, and then shows, is another just testament to its reliability, its authenticity. Um, you know, if I'm going to make a fake account about Jesus written to the Jews, I would never pick Matthew as the fake author. Does that make sense? Number seven. The Gospels contain lots of verifiable and falsifiable specifics. <laughs> so in the Gospels, you see many specific uh, people names, place names, um, and, and these are all things that can be confirmed throughout, uh, you know, through, through the contemporary historians and also through archaeology. Uh, think about it this way. If you're writing your Gospel a hundred years after the fact uh, or later, you wouldn't be able to know all these specifics, Right. Uh, if I'm going to write about something that happened in 1916, uh, if I'm writing an account, e- even with all the modern, I mean, be- better recorded modern history that we have today, and writing down with, with super specific place names, people names, things that can be, can, can be fact-checked and verified with archaeology, and that would be really difficult to do. It would be impossible 2,000 years ago. Um, you know, and, and, and again, if you're writing 100 years after the fact, uh, you don't need to include that stuff. You can just make up whatever because no one's still alive to prove you wrong. Uh, but, but they cared about the authenticity. They cared about it being true, being accurate, being right. So they included where relevant, man, place names, people names, times, seasons, all those kind of things to help, help us know that it's true. Um, and then archaeology has re- repeatedly verified uh, all the details that we see included in the Gospels are accurate, um, which is one of the reasons we think uh, that the texts were written much nearer to the time of the events themselves. Uh, now, if you're going to write an event within you know, 10, 20, 30 years uh, of the events, um, and you're going to claim that those present-day people did this or that, uh, then you've got to get it right, because a lot of those people are still living. Let me give you an example. Let me give you an example. Uh, let's say I make up a story about Michael. Michael, can you raise your hand, people that don't know you? Let's say my, I make up a story about Michael. Um, I saw Michael and Kroger this week. I saw Michael and Kroger, and he was, he, was buying, he was buying supplies. He was getting all kinds of stuff because he's going on a trip, right? I said, Michael, where are you going? He said, let me show you. So he takes me out to the parking lot. Michael's built a rocket ship, y'all. He's built a rocket ship, and he's getting supplies for his trip. 
Uh, Michael blasts off. He orbits the Earth several times, and then he lands. This happened earlier this week. I can't believe none of you saw it. It's crazy. Um, and, 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 yeah, so my, my, Michael's in space. He spent some time in space. He visited a few other planets. Um, you know, I, I saw all of that. Uh, you know, I can't make up an account like that uh, because, man, man, a lot of you guys probably also hung out with Michael this week, and you knew he wasn't in space, right? Uh, you guys probably went to that same Kroger on Germantown Parkway, and you didn't see any big rocket ship under construction for months beforehand, right? Uh, if I'm going to make up an account and I'm going to be super specific, I can't circulate that time, that thing around the same time that the people that were also alive uh, would have been there, especially if I'm going to include fantastical events, miracles, you know, 5,000 people being healed, people being raised from the dead. Uh, I, can't, I can't circulate stories that wild if most of the people are still alive, right? Does that make sense? And so, so when we see these Gospels in circulation, when, when a lot of these people would have still been alive to verify them, um, that's again, uh, man, another, another hint uh, for us that this is true, this is reliable. These guys were recording what they actually uh, witnessed for us. Um, let me see, give you some examples. Joseph of Arimathea, um, was a religious leader, a member of the Sanhedrin. Um, and and so, so in the Gospels, we learn that Joseph of Arimathea was a believer. Uh, he's, he's the believer uh, who, who buried Jesus. He said, you can, you can use my tomb. Um, so this was a major, big deal religious figure uh, in, 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 in the Jewish religion. Um, if there was a story circulating that he was actually a Christian, that he was a believer, uh, and it was not true, man, that thing would have been shot down with a quickness, right? Uh, he would have been like, no, 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 don't put my name there. That's not true. Then uh, certainly the people would have known. The contemporaries would have known, no, he was, he was a Jewish leader. He didn't believe on Jesus. You can't circulate stuff like that if it's not true. Same as I can't tell you guys that Michael's been working on a rocket for months, and he launched, and he flew around in space. Like, no, I mean, I saw Michael here last week, and I'm pretty sure he didn't do that, right? So I'm going to say something, say something wild, say something, say something huge like that. Uh, man, I mean, if it's not true, people are going to know. Um, and again, I mentioned earlier, talk, talking with Yang, uh, the First Corinthians 15 tells us more than 500 people saw Jesus alive post-crucifixion. Uh, and it practically tells you, hey, go and ask them uh, when, it, when it tags on at the end, many of whom are still living. He said, don't take my word for it. Most of these guys are still living. You can go and ask them. These people that saw Jesus alive after being crucified and dead. Um, and, and, and the, the, this creed that's included there in, in uh, 1 Corinthians 15 would have been, like I said, in circulation between six months and no later than five years after the events themselves. Far too short a time for legend to creep in. You know how stories kind of grow over time. And they get more and more legendary. Um, and the time for exaggeration there is way too short, again, because most of those eyewitnesses were uh, still living. Of everything we talked about tonight, certainly the prophecies hold a lot of weight. Um, but for me, this and also martyrdom are the strongest evidence for me personally. Everyone has their own journey. You know, Jesus reveals himself to you. There's different things that really stick out to you. Uh, but for me personally, this huge number of eyewitnesses is, is the slam dunk for me. And that's like, okay, you know, that in history we have hundreds of people saying they saw something and no historical record that says, oh, those Christians are crazy, they didn't see that, right? Nothing, right? Silent. Uh, and, and then you have hundreds of people say, yeah, we saw Jesus alive. It's true. Um, for me, this is the, the most convincing thing <coughs> next, to, next to martyrdom. Um, three more. Number eight, divergent details. Not like the, not like the movie with the, with the uh, that's like Hunger Games, but not. But <laughs> divergent details. So there are small differences 
uh, between a few of the gospel accounts about the same event. Um, if you guys are reading through the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you're going to see some things repeat. You're going to read the feeding of the 5,000 four times. You're going to read about some, some other events uh, two, three times because some of the gospel writers include, include the same events. And then something interesting, though, is you'll notice they'll record them slightly differently. Um, some of the details will be slightly different. Uh, and, and this is something that a skeptic would say, hey, look, and the Bible's wrong, right? Hey, look, there's an error. There's a contradiction because, man, this guy uses this number or this guy includes this, this detail and this other writer doesn't include it. Um, and they would be. Man, they, they would be uh, errors. They would be problems, except that all of these discrepancies are explainable, they're reconcilable, and they're incredibly minor. Um, if you guys get a chance, uh, Lee Strobel, had, I mean, it's a series of books now, he wrote, wrote a book called The Case for Christ and then followed that up with The Case for Faith, and I think he's got a case for like a dozen other things now. Um, but but man, in The Case for Christ, man, he, he's got a chapter uh, that's excellent, excellent on this subject as he's interviewing a, an expert on it. Um, so, so you've got these, these details about these events that are slightly different. Um, but, but, but if you think about it, these divergent details actually boost the reliability of the narrative. They don't detract from it. Um, let me paint you a picture. Let's say you've got multiple eyewitnesses to the same event. Um, and then I pull those eyewitnesses uh, one by one separately into a back room and ask them to recall the event to me. And you guys have maybe seen this with like mock trial or courtroom stuff or there's like a hundred different police procedurals and law and orders on TV. Uh, different eyewitnesses remember the same event differently. They remember different details about it. So there's, again, there's probably, uh, like I said, over 40 of us in this room. Um, but let's say someone ran out of the back um, and they're, they're wearing like a banana suit and they're yelling and they're, and they're, and they're crazy. They've got big red clown shoes on. Uh, and, they're, and they're yelling, what, what are they yelling, TJ? What are they yelling? They're boogers. They're yelling boogers. Boogers, boogers, boogers. And they, they run all the way through and they run back into the gym and then they're gone. Later, some people are asking, man, what happened? Right right towards the end of Matt's message, uh, did the guy come in? What did he say? And, and, and uh, Yang remembers, uh, he, he said boogers. What was he wearing? I don't remember, but I was laughing because he was saying boogers, boogers, boogers. He wasn't saying and, burger. He's huh? saying burger. Oh, burger? Yeah. Burger. Did you say burger? I said booger. I think to you. Okay. See, you've already got a divergent detail. And I've always said, this is just a setup, right? Um, and Joel back there, he said, I don't, I don't remember what he said because he had those huge red shoes. And I was like, what? Those shoes. That's all I remember. He had those red shoes. Uh, you know, and, and uh, man, man, Taylor remembers, how did you miss the banana suit? Guys, but he was dressed as a banana, but yeah, I don't remember what he said. I don't. I, don't, I thought the shoes were blue, but uh, those kind of things. But that's how it is, right? If you have eyewitnesses to a car crash, eyewitnesses to a crime, uh, they remember that event differently. And when those eyewitnesses are giving their testimony uh, on the on the stand, or any of you guys like pre-law or criminal justice stuff, um, when they're giving their testimonies, the judge is not concerned about those little differences. As long as the major stuff is spot on. In fact, here's what the judge thinks. You guys imagine you're a judge. And you've got eyewitnesses recalling about a robbery that they eyewitnessed, right? And they all give the exact same word-for-word story, every detail exactly the same. You're the judge. What do you think? They're all in on it. Yeah. Corroboration, right? 
That they've been secretly... Cla- is that what you would think? If they're all word for word, identical testimonies about the same event, you've got four or five eyewitnesses and they all get it exactly the same. You'd be like, you guys, you guys met together in the back room and you, you got your story straight, right? Uh, that, that in fact, and this is amazing, those little differences tell you it's true. Those little things that this guy remembers, but that guy remembered a little bit differently, tell you it's true. So as you come across discrepancies uh, in the Gospels, uh, other things that and a skeptic would say, see, that's an error. Say, no, actually, that tells me it's true. That tells me that these guys all didn't get together in a back room and say, hey, let's make up a religion. So we'll say Jesus said this and this and this, and these people were there, and we'll say these are the people that found Jesus at the resurrection. We'll say these people found him first. Because those details are slightly different, that tells us, and these guys were actual eyewitnesses to it, and it's not some Illuminati conspiracy. Does that make sense? You guys got that? Um, these, these divergent details, man, it's huge. What, what should be a, a discrepancy, what should be a problem, actually boosts the reliability of the documents as historical eyewitness testimonies. Does that make sense? Two more. Number nine. Women were the first eyewitnesses to the resurrection. That may not seem like a big deal today in 2016. But if we're making up a story, making up a story in the first century, you would never choose to have women be your initial eyewitnesses. Um, we've progressed a lot in 2,000 plus years, right? Um, lot, lots, lots, of, uh, lot, lots of progression. Um, but back then, a woman's testimony uh, was not admissible in court. A woman's testimony didn't, didn't have any value, any weight. Um, in a lot of cultures, women were seen like property. Um, you know what, what, what they said would not would not carry uh, any weight. Um, they had uh, they were regarded as, as property, and you know, some, some women had had fewer rights than male slaves would, if you can imagine that. Um, so so if you're going to choose to have your first eyewitnesses, because the first people that saw Jesus after the resurrection were his female followers that were coming to the tomb to anoint his body. Um, but but if you're making up a story. You wouldn't say that women are the first people that saw Jesus alive after being dead. Their testimony would not help bolster your fake story. Um, and the gospel writers would not have included them unless it was absolutely true. Right? So when these guys sit down and they say that it was women uh, who loved Jesus, that were the first people that saw him alive, and then later he appeared to some of his male followers. Um, you know, and again, as a modern day reader, okay, no big deal. Huge deal. Huge deal in the first century. Because if you're just making up a story, you would never say that it was women that saw him first. Does that make sense? Last one. Number 10. Uh, martyrdom. Uh, of the 11 remaining disciples, um, and, and Judas, he, he defected and then he committed suicide. Of the 11 remaining disciples, um, as, they're, as they're going around and spreading the story of Jesus, the, the ministry of Jesus, Jesus um, and crucified and then raised from the dead, not a single one of them recanted their story. Not a single one of them spilled the beans about some elaborate conspiracy, uh, even when though they were tortured to death. All, all of the 11, 11 disciples, uh, remaining disciples, except for John, um, you know, were, uh, were, were martyred you know, within, within uh, man, man, those, those first few decades. John is the only one that lived to be an old man. Uh, and, and, and even he was, was boiled in oil. He was tortured. You know, so so being tortured, uh, being being tortured, whipped to death, some of you know, you know, them executed publicly. Not a single one of them, man, recounted their testimony. I'm thinking at some point. So you've got these hundreds of eyewitnesses, and, and man, the early Christians were put to death uh, in excruciating and terrible ways. Um, and, and to have not a single one of them say, "Okay, no, we did. Don't kill me. We just made it up. Don't kill my children. We, we made it up. It's not true. Not a single one of them." 
said that. To me, that's huge, right? When, when, when you see these guys saying, man, I'm going to go to my death saying, man, I saw Jesus alive after being dead, and I believe that, that, that he, man, he saved me from my sins. Um, you know, they say, man, you're making up that story. We're going we're gonna to kill your family. Okay, if, that, if that's what you got to do, but I, man, I'm, I'm not backing down on this. Okay, we're going to kill you. We're going to torture you for, for hours, for days. Okay, but it's true. And then what you do to me doesn't change that, right? So to see hundreds and hundreds, and, and now into the modern day, thousands and thousands, if not millions, of people martyred throughout history, and not, not recanting that story, not saying, oh, okay, no, no, we just made it up, it's not true. To not have a single person say that, man, that is enormous. Uh, that is huge. Um, you know, a crazy person might stick to a ridiculous story, uh, but whole groups of people do not suffer and die for a lie. Huge groups of people don't suffer and die for something they made up. Um, you know, and along those same lines, thousands of first century Jews would not have changed their faith, uh, changed their way of life for a lie. They saw something that left them utterly convinced, completely convinced. And that's why the church was able to expand uh, and multiply so rapidly in those early days. And the, those Jews saw something, right? And what we know has been carefully handed down through the centuries to us. I mean, we know it's been carefully handed down. We know it's not been changed. Their eyewitness matters to us today. We've got to do something with it. So you've got, you've got these ancient eyewitness accounts that say they saw Jesus alive after being dead. And here in 2016, okay, I've got to do something with that. Do I believe it's true? I gave you ten reasons to believe it's true. And I, I can give you ten more. Uh, but for the sake of time, we're going to stop because I've gone way late. Uh, but man, I appreciate you guys uh, man, listening. Um, and and man, man, the hope here was that, uh, that your uh, faith in God would grow, but also, also your faith in the reliability of Scripture would grow. That when you handle the Bible, it wouldn't just be another book to you, right? That, that there'd be a reverence for it and say, man, this is God's Word given to me. Um, that the, 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 what's recorded in here is true. It's not just a made-up story. Um, that, that there'd be a hunger in you man, for that word, that you'd want to spend time with it, uh, that you'd want to know it back-to-back. Um, so I'm going to pray for you guys. Um, the, 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 man, I know you got a lot of information tonight. And he said, Matt, I can't possibly fit all that in my brain. Uh, I'll email you the notes, right? I'll send, you, send them to you however you want. I'll drop box them to you. I'll, I'll, I'll mail them in the, in the mailbox for you, whatever you want to do. Uh, you guys can look over them and study them a little more on your own. Uh, but let me pray for you before we, before we get out of here tonight. Father God, again, thank you um, and for this group of young people here tonight. Um, God, thank you for your word faithfully given to us and through people over the centuries, God. Um, thank you for revealing yourself to us in Jesus. Uh, thank you, God, that you're a knowable God uh, who loves us and wants to be in relationship with us, God. Thank you so much, God. Uh, God, thank you for the, this evidence we can point to, God, that, that our faith is not a blind faith. That we've got strong evidence and hundreds of eyewitnesses' accounts to stand on. Uh, and and uh, God, I pray that you would increase our faith, increase our dependence on you, increase our love for you, God. Increase our love for your word, God, that each and every day we'd spend time with your word, letting it shape and mold us into the men and women of God that you want us to be. God, help us to love you with all of our hearts. Help us to live lives that please you and honor you. Uh, In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks, guys.